but I want to thank uh, the Ripon Society for uh, inviting me uh, to speak. Uh, the issues probably have never been more relevant or timely uh, for the committee. Um, I just got back on a really interesting trip um, to the Middle East and Northern Africa, and it really it relates very much to the topic that we're uh, talking about today. <coughs> Um, I was uh, actually got to land on the aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf, which is pretty astounding. Uh, watching the F-18s take off to fly in country to Iraq and Syria uh, to conduct the airstrikes uh, there um, to deal with the threat over there uh, before it could come here, um, and then to um, uh, went into uh, Egypt into Cairo to look at the airport. I can tell you it's uh, not a model of security on many levels. Uh, so last point of departure, of course, is uh, something I'll be really focused on uh, this morning. <clears throat> then we went into the Sinai Peninsula uh, to our multinational force that's there to observe the Egyptian-Israeli accords, and uh, they're surrounded by ISIS, uh, which is expanding uh, there. Uh, then we went to Tunisia to the Bardo Museum, which was hit by the terrorists, uh, and got briefed by the Libyan team, which is in exile. It's interesting to have an ambassador in exile, but uh, essentially that's what our ambassador to Libya is right now after Benghazi, and us pulling out completely of Libya, um, which is a failed state. Uh, there is no government. The military can't unify, and now we have 6,000 ISIS in the growing. When we got briefed about the situation in Libya, it was essentially, it's a branch office of the Caliphate in Syria. Why do we care about all this? So my constituents say, let them kill each other. And why do we even care? Uh, well, it's because they can hit us here. And uh, the external operations that they can't conduct out of that region, as we saw with Sharm el-Sheikh, with Sinai, uh, ISIS, uh, uh, something I don't want to see an inbound flight uh, coming into the United States. And so, as we looked at Cairo, and of course, right after we got back, the, the downing of the Egyptian airliner, uh, which, by the way, on the plane had marked death to Hebrews you know, on it. Um, was it an act of terrorism? I, I, get, I got asked that on Little Blitzer last night. I'll probably get asked it on. Fox News this morning, uh, if I can keep my eyes open for the interview, but, um, you know, we don't really know until the black box uh, confirms everything, but uh, hopefully it will. I can tell you it's a very sudden event, a very catastrophic event. Uh, There's smoke coming out of the laboratory and the window, uh, the pilot uh, blew out and it went into, in three and a half minutes, uh, went into a downward spiral. Signals to me that something, something nefarious happened, although we can't prove it at this point in time. Interestingly, we haven't seen a, a terrorist organization take credit. Um, uh, however, after Sharm el-Sheikh, uh, it took uh, them about two and a half weeks before they published it in Debate Magazine, which is their publication. I don't know if any of y'all signed up for their monthly subscription. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. It's a, it's a scary read, um, um, but that's that's a you know John Catco chairs the transportation subcommittee has done such a great job. We 
they're very focused on these, what they call last points of departure airports. <coughs> Cairo has um, a daily flight going into JFK Airport. When I went to the airport, they gave me a lot of gifts, which was very nice, but I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in what's your stat, state of security here. Um, they don't have full body scanners, so in the, in the modern age of non-metallic IEDs that AQAP has developed, and ISIS is now looking at developing, that concerns me because the magnetometer's not going to pick that up. Uh, their vetting process is, is absolutely uh, uh, concerning to me. They don't uh, use Interpol. They don't uh, use any of our intelligence to vet their employees. Um, if this was a terrorist event, it would have emanated out of two, possibly three places. One would be Cairo. <clears throat> they went to Cairo, Tunis, Cairo, Paris, Cairo, all within a span of 24 hours. So the idea of a, a timing device, a, a bomb is real. Uh, out of Cairo, potentially Tunis, which if you think Cairo's bad in airport standards, <laughs> Tunis is even worse. Paris, while they have very good technology uh, standards, they just uh, rooted out about 70 extremists out of their uh, out of their airport in Charles de Gaulle. Salafists, they call them. I met with the French ambassador yesterday, and uh, these are people they're very concerned about. And if there are 70 that they weeded out, how many others are there <coughs> maybe still working? This is the new threat to airline aviation is the insider. Technology can be its best, uh, but if you have somebody who is corrupted or bribed or radicalized, they can put a bag on an airplane. They can get into the laboratory. <coughs> we know there's smoke coming out of the laboratory. Cleaning crews, uh, food service, anybody with access to the airplane luggage <coughs> can pull something like this off. Fifty. Flights come out of Paris into the United States every day as well. So I think what keeps me up at night a lot of them, cybersecurity, you know, that I talked about. Um, but it would be an inbound flight with a bomb, and uh, it would be devastating um, to uh, Americans. And uh, when we get the threat briefings in the classified world, uh, the intent's very much there. Uh, their capabilities are growing and, and they're very crafty in how they want to, to do this. They're, it's still the crown jewel uh, for the terrorists is to bring down an airliner like 9-11. Uh, and so kind of fast forward to the problem at hand that I know a lot of you all want to hear about, and that's TSA and <clears throat> the long lines. We did have the administrator testify before our committee yesterday. And yes, they did follow him into the bathroom, the camera crews, um, with great, I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, I, I believe, is he's new to the job. I think he is visionary, capable, um, just really bad timing. And um, why didn't we see this coming is the question. Big part of the problem, and we'll be introducing a bill today, um, to deal with you know, their staffing models. They don't consult with the airlines. They don't consult with the airport authorities. So we met with them. And they said there's just no local input on flight times, coordination, um, really fundamental stuff that you would think would already be taking place, but it's not. 
So they don't know where to put the, the personnel at the right time at the right place. Um, we reprogrammed uh, about 800 TSA officers two weeks ago. Uh, they'll be online late June. Uh, these behavioral detection officers that kind of roam around the airports, 3,000 of them, we're going to put them at the front line to screen. Um, that's going to help. Uh, we'll probably have a reprogramming request to uh, move 20% uh, of their workforce is part-time, to move from part-time uh, to full-time. Um, and we think that this is going to, and we need to do it soon, now. I mean, we're going into Memorial uh, Day week. we got the summer season coming up. Um, these lines are absolutely unacceptable. Uh, people are missing flights. Chicago got probably hit the worst. New York probably right behind it. And uh, it's happening all over the country. Uh, and people are angry, you know, about it. Uh, and they want Congress to act uh, on this, and Congress is acting uh, this hearing with the legislation. John Katko um, got two bills passed <clears throat> that would deal with this situation, and one would enhance the pre-check program to take the lines, uh, long lines of movement to pre-check. Um, however, the Senate, in its usual fashion, has not acted on any of this. Um, Senator Sass, and I'll call him out by name, has held up the TSA expansion program because he wants the 85 bucks you pay to get into the program to go into the general treasury, not the program that's designed to do. I think it's highly irresponsible. I've called the Senate out publicly yesterday, and not, not only have they held up these bills with the TSA lines, but they've held up two critical bills that deal with last points of departure uh, airports that uh, my bipartisan task force that John led up and, and Will Hurt was on passed to deal with providing the technical training assistance to foreign airports, last points of departure, and equipment like what we see in Cairo. They don't have the, the equipment. And again, there's been absolutely no action in the Senate. Now, I know that's a broken record that we hear about. The Senate doesn't seem to do anything. But when it comes to protecting American lives, and when it comes to shortening these lines at the airports, it seems to me they ought to do something. Um, and it's, you know, I got asked on NPR, you know, well, it's your party you know, that controls the Senate. And I was like, yeah, it is. But that doesn't excuse it. I mean, they have to do something. Um, this is a bipartisan, this isn't a partisan issue. It's about protecting American lives and, and getting the lines down at the, at the uh, TSA, uh, you know, at the airport. So, um, how do I see the threat in the future? I, I, I'll tell you, the one thing that worries me <clears throat> is that, yeah, I look at Bin Laden, I've been a student of this probably too long, and I don't know how I'm going to apply any of this in the private sector if I leave, but you know, Bin Laden was very much into um, primitive communications, caves and couriers, very top-down approach. This new generation of terrorists are very savvy on the internet and have used the internet and exploited it, and in encryption as well, but we can't see what they're saying now, uh, to uh, radicalize and to recruit. So we have 40,000 um, foreign fighters from 120 different countries. That doubles the size of our coalition forces. Um, and it's spreading. 
into Libya and, and Egypt. Um, and it's hard to control that. And when the foreign fighters return, like they're doing in Europe, 5,000 of them have Western passports, then you see the Paris and the Brussels attacks. Um, <clears throat> there will be another attack in Europe, in my estimation, in the next couple months. I talked to the French ambassador about it. The Euro Cup is coming up as a huge target over there. And with the number of foreign fighters they have uh, who, are, who are in Europe, and the proximity now uh, to, the, the, uh, to the threat, it's very hard for them to stop it. And then when they use encryption, you can't see what they're saying. It's really hard to, really hard to stop it. By contrast, we have a couple hundred of these foreign fighters. Many have returned to the United States. We either charge them or we um, uh, monitor them. We have arrested 84 uh, ISIS followers um, in the United States. And we have had 75 plots against the West. That kind of gives you the sort of magnitude of the numbers. And we stopped most of them. But it's the Chattanooga, the San Bernardino that you miss, uh, that, that concerns you. We don't want to see an active shooter plot in this country with the suicide bomber, but they very much want to pull that off. The ISIS spokesman, <coughs> believe it or not, they have a spokesman, and he came out the other day calling for um, attacks on the land of the Crusaders, as he called it. And um, you know, there are people in this country communicating with people in Raqqa as I speak, and we can't see what they're saying because of encryption. Uh, this is like the greatest challenge to federal law enforcement, to the FBI, um, that they've ever had. Because I know as a federal prosecutor, if you can't see what they're saying, you can't stop it. And uh, they're getting very good at it. Uh, not only the communications, but now they can mask the ISP so that you don't know who's talking to who. At least if we could say this guy in Rock is talking to this guy in Washington or New York, you could monitor that uh, person, but they now talk in darkness. Um, so it, it's, um, it's a global phenomenon. Um, just in my tenure as chairman, I've seen this threat evolve and expand uh, uh, to what I consider to be a very dangerous point, yeah, which takes me to November 2016. I, you know, our nominee was my first choice, um, but we're going to need a commander-in-chief that knows how to deal with a very dangerous world uh, out there. And I would argue that, uh, you know, Secretary Clinton, when she was secretary, created those. She was sort of the architect of a lot of this foreign policy uh, that is very dangerous today. The Arab Spring became a winter, uh, and it has led to the creation of ISIS and the expansion of ISIS and the terror threat, not to mention Al-Qaeda, which is still very active and competing with ISIS, uh, which is a dangerous competition. Um, so again, I, uh, there are many threat vectors we look at to protect against, uh, including you know, the border. Um, but I, I really worry about the aviation sector and, and their attempt to, to bring down uh, airplanes uh, you know, once again. So we have to deal with this issue. Congress has to deal with it. We put a lot of pressure on oversight on the administration to deal with this, the last points of departure. These lines, uh, we've got to take care of this. Uh, and Congress does need to act. Uh, and uh, my patience is running very thin with the Senate. 
and it's irresponsible for them to, to do nothing and sit on bills that can make a difference uh, that are not partisan bills, but make a difference in the lives of Americans. So, uh, they always, you know, if people say I see you on TV, I say, you don't really want to see me on TV because I'm usually talking about death and destruction and a terrorist attack. But it's, it's really the state of play these days. And um, it's, uh, again, I think the good news, if I can leave you with any, is that we have stopped a lot of bad things um, from happening. And uh, many of them, which I can't talk about, but I walk out of that skiff some days, you know, just uh, sometimes it's it's frightening, and then other days it's very gratifying that we have stopped some bad things from happening uh, in this country. And I'm amazed at the work that you know, the FBI, Homeland, the intelligence community, uh, day in and day out, what they do to stop bad things from happening. So, with that, uh, great news. Mr. Chairman, uh, Mr. Cackville had to go and uh, do a hearing this morning. You said the meeting didn't start until he got there. So you, you and Mr. The hearing didn't start till nine o'clock. It's, it's, it's nine o'clock. It's nine o'clock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get any sleep last night. <laughs> so it will be just you and Mr. Well, uh, yeah. Let me just uh, quickly. Will Hurd, a uh, real rising star in the conference. Um, I'm very fortunate to have him on my committee. I can't think of a better qualified individual, somebody who served our country well as a, a CIA operative in some pretty bad spots, uh, some of which you can't even talk about, but in some you know, places where the people I was just talking about like to hang out the most, and tracking them. Uh, but his expertise uh, is really astounding, and yeah, I'm just very fortunate to have him on the committee. And he's a Texan, too. <laughs> Uplifting mornings with Mike McCall. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, well, 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 Chairman, I, I'd like to follow up on, on, on two points um, that you've made. And the, I, I look at the, the long wait lines, um, as you see at the airports, are a symptom of inefficiencies. Right? And if you have inefficiencies, then you're not doing your job. And so, and, and, and Admiral Nettinger basically said that. Um, they said they saw Chicago coming and they should have been able to prevent it. And, and having someone of his um, organizational acumen is, is important. And, and here's the reality, that, um, as, as the chairman talked about the, these points of last departure. When I was in the CIA, I was operating an alias. I crisscrossed um, a number of international boundaries illegally, right? And um, <laughs> it, is, it is something that if you have a committed, smart, well, um, well, uh, finance adversary. Um, there's a lot of things you can get around, and and that's what's what's scary. You know, the, the 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 scary scenario for me is if it was a bomb and it was put on in Cairo, and the the, the Parisians missed um, the the check. Um, that shows all the, the points of failures that can be taken advantage of. And and under the uh, the, the the task force on foreign fighters that I got to sit on that was commissioned by Chairman McCall and led by. Uh, John Catco, 
you know, we learned that our European allies are not doing nearly enough that they should. They're not checking. You know, we're giving tens of thousands of names of suspect terrorists. They are not checking known travelers against those, that, that, those databases. They were checking one out of every three travel documents. That's, you know, looking at the passport and be like, is the picture the same as the person standing in front of me? Something that basic, only a third. Um, and our, our, the French were only providing us with, with um, folks that had been convicted of terrorism, not suspect ter terrorists. And that's a very small number if you're only talking about convicted terrorists. Um, so if we get the right information to the right people at the right time, you know, we keep terrorists on the run and, and off our shores. And guess what? TSA is the last line of defense, um, not the first line. So I'm just glad that a guy like Mike McCall is at the helm, um, is making sure to keep this administration accountable and using his vast experience in order to make sure that all the entities that are responsible for protecting our homeland are doing their job. You guys have time for Q and A? Sure. Jot. What time's my boxes? Uh, we have to walk out of here at nine twenty. Yeah. I have a hearing that started like ten minutes ago. <laughs> John Carpenter, you're on. Uh, Mr. Chairman, with the able assistance of Mr. Hurd, who I know is the committee's go-to guy on IT matters, uh, you talked about how ISIS is becoming increasingly sophisticated on the internet, which suggests to me that we still have to be very vigilant in the cyber realm. Um, Congress passed a, a pretty important cyber bill last December. I'm interested to know six, seven months in, how do you think we're doing and where are we going in that realm going forward? That can't be the last time Congress speaks to these issues. It's an ongoing process. The bad guys are trying to get more sophisticated. What are we doing to stay ahead? Yeah, I mean, uh, so we passed this landlord cyber bill. Thanks uh, to Brett DeWitt. Yeah, where is it? Brett? Yeah, Arkansas. Thanks for mentioning that. You know, information sharing, malicious codes, private sector uh, with you know, liability and protection. Uh, now, it's sort of an experiment, it's voluntary. We will see what the participation is. Uh, the theory was to protect not only the, uh, have the codes come into the uh, federal government from the private sector, but back to the private sector and private to private. And so, um, uh, DHS has to stand up in their capabilities. Uh, we think they are. And our oversight at this point, we've authorized them to do this job, Congress has, and now it's time, it's the oversight and responsibility we have to make sure they're doing it right. Uh, I will tell you, the other cyber piece comes in more from the, um, the you're familiar with Cyber Command, Air Force, and uh, NSA, <coughs> uh, offensive capability. We don't want to see that capability turn against us, though. And, and so the theft of intellectual property happens every day at an enormous scale. Probably the biggest transfer of wealth in human history, as uh, the NSA uh, uh, director called it. And um, um, the espionage from China, the 20 million security clearances stolen with no repercussions, no consequences. And then the cyber warfare that we know uh, nation states uh, like North Korea, Iran, uh, Russia, they just shut down the Ukraine. Uh, their power grid. They certainly have the capability to do that to us, uh, but mutually assured destruction applies. The radical Islamists don't have that capability, but if they did get that, they would certainly use it. Uh, but they're very good at the, the, you know, the encryption uh, game, and that, I'll let you speak over there. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Sure. Um, as about a month ago, there were probably there were at least two thousand exchanges um, um, on on TTPs um, of folks being attacked um, through this new sharing network. Um, had close to one hundred um, entities participating going through the process to be part of, of the new exchange. So so that is growing and going the right direction. Um, one thing that uh, under the chairman's leadership, we're also trying to reorganize um, NPPD. This is the entity within a Department of Homeland Security that's responsible for, for cybersecurity so that they are positioned operationally like a TSA in order to take on this job and truly be the belly button of, of cooperation between the, the private and, and public sector. That's one thing that's important. And I, and I want to see going forward, um, listen, right now there is hundreds of hackers in Moscow and building like this that are working on the next um, set of malware that's going to be used to attack any of y'all in y'all's industry. And y'all know that, and your cyber people know that, and they kind of have an idea of where those attack lines are going to be. That Those requirements and those ideas where you think that attack line should be, should be able to be funneled into the federal government to do what the federal government does best, that's collect on nation states, that's collect on, on large non-state actors, and use some of that, the requirements provided by the private sector, to collect intelligence on these folks so that you can get, then get that intelligence back to the private sector to be one step ahead of the next wave of, of attacks. It sounds easy, and getting the requirements we all into the, to the federal government, that's actually quite, quite easy. Doing the collection, you know, I would have loved to have gotten requirements like this um, when I was overseas uh, chasing people, but then once we have the information, getting it back into a format that the private sector can use um, is difficult. The key is, People are going to participate in this first year and a half, maybe the first two years, but they have to be getting stuff that's valuable in response in order to continue that level of participation. We have to make sure.